All right, welcome back to the Movie Babble Quarantine Edition podcast. Uh, this week you've got myself <laughs> and Brennan, and we're breaking down uh, just what's what's going on in streaming at the moment. Uh, so as you know, the box office is pretty much dead at this point in time. All the major theater chains have closed, and even a lot of the small, but what few mom and pop ones are left, uh, theaters are closing for the meantime. So there's not really anything going on in the box office it's actually pretty cleared out so we don't have any well, march is almost over we don't have any april releases we don't have any may releases and some of the bigger june releases have already started uh, pushing those dates back so i think we're going to see june kind of fall by the wayside completely here in the next week or two as well yeah it's it's definitely a weird thing we haven't had a full kind of box office update since last weekend uh well we didn't have one last weekend but even last weekend when we came on for the show um the most recent update was thursday march 19th and we haven't had anything since then so that's 10 days now without really an update now there was a brief little uh blip last weekend of the 20th to 22nd but the numbers didn't come out till wednesday um following the weekend of two films and how they did um, one called Lost in America it made $78 and one called uh, Phoenix Organ and it made 3.8K in limited release. Um, so that's pretty much all we have. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's definitely a weird time and it would be cool to see the numbers. I actually really wish that we, we could see these numbers, but I think that the, the fact is um, we're just kind of seeing mass theater closures and there, there's there's nothing really to report. So I guess no one's really feeling the need to, to, to send the numbers to box office mojo if there even are uh, any. Yeah, I mean, China is making another big push and shutting their theaters down again. And I mean, obviously in the U.S., that's been kind of the, the big thing going on is just all of these uh, finally state and government mandated quarantines along with all the theater closings. And we've seen a lot of the movies that came out, you know, the first two weeks of March before Everything just kind of plunged into chaos in the last week of February that have uh, moved on to streaming. So Onward is probably the biggest example of that. That'll drop on Disney Plus, I believe, next Friday. Um, and then after that, we had you know The Invisible Man went to streaming, Emma, Bloodshot, a lot of these movies that had just released in the past few weeks. Um, but they are taking a little bit of a different approach. So for the most part, you can't really rent these movies. Uh, that you would at the normal price, they're all listed at about $19.99 just to try and recoup some of that box office loss because they came at a time where it was too late to pull the plug. And so they just kind of landed with a flop. And you can definitely see the studios trying to recover some of their money and take advantage of the millions of people that are now at home looking for something to do. I think it'd be really neat to look at uh, the on-demand and, and uh, online rental numbers. It's kind of hard to access uh, broad statistics for for actual dollar revenue that studios are making uh, from online rentals and on-demand. But I think it'd be really neat to look at those numbers and see um, if there if there is a huge surge. I'm sure that this putting a lot of these movies at 19.99 um, probably um, results in, in in definitely some sort of surge. I know that my family we've uh, rented one so far we uh, watched the invisible man um so far during this kind of period of 1999 rentals uh, from some of the new releases but i'd like to see just how much money these studios are actually going to bring uh back from these uh, upped costs in terms of on demand but it's just hard to access those numbers yeah and i feel like the movies that are going to benefit from this the most are the ones that were already doing pretty well to begin with 
that already had strong word of mouth and strong turnout. So I think we'll see that with Onward a little bit just because it is Pixar, it is Disney, and then they're going to drop it on Disney Plus within a week. So it's going to be in a lot more homes than, say, The Invisible Man or The Way Back might be. Uh, but even with like The Invisible Man and with Sonic the Hedgehog, they were already performing pretty strong. I mm-hmm. think that's going to carry well into this weird home video format that they are in now during their theatrical release. Yeah, no, 100% I agree. I think that obviously movies that are kind of going through a pretty good period are probably going to do a little bit better at home. I mean, Invisible Man was just an absolute hit at the box office, and I think that word of mouth in general is probably going to help its at-home numbers, Um, whereas uh, kind of looking on the flip side, movies like Bloodshot or uh, The Hunt, I don't know if they were able to garner that much attention before everything sort of shut down that that they would do as well at home um but it'd be it it would be neat to look at those numbers if we could bring up something like that yeah and see here's the thing that bothers me about the hunt is that when so it was uh you know it was scheduled for release last september and then they pushed it back because they felt it was a little insensitive with uh some of the the gun violence problems we have here in the states and so they pushed it back to this february and they kept advertising it as the most talked about movie of the year hasn't even come out yet it's the slogan before the trailers but i don't know who was talking about it um and that just really bothers me because there's no way that was even close to the most talked about movie of the year and i think it disappeared even before all these coronavirus closures really came through no yeah it didn't have a great start to begin with but yeah you're right i think it's they they tried to uh build off or they tried to kind of capitalize on the hype of being uh kind of shut down back in september because i remember there were there were a few news stories and it it hit the mainstream media for a very short blip back in september so i guess they were just trying to drum up that uh but yeah there's there's definitely no factual numbers to back uh, that claim (laughs) yeah it, it seems like they were reaching pretty hard uh, for a movie that I don't think anybody's really going to remember <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the real winners here are the already existing streaming platforms. So I think Netflix and Disney Plus are probably going to be the front runners um, with HBO Max dropping here within about a month. I think we're about six weeks out. Um, I think HBO could stand to really launch pretty strong uh, for the start of their platform. Uh, but yeah, Netflix is kind of the winner right now. People have been going nuts over Tiger King, which is number one for their TV shows right now. Um, but they have had, you know, some strong, well, at least according to the very little information they give out, some strong original content plays in the past couple of weeks. So we're going to break down or at least list out their top 10 movies in the U.S. So it starts with Uncorked, which is a Netflix original at the number one spot, followed by The Platform, number two. Three is Mel Gibson's Bloodfather, followed by Badland in number four. Number five is Spencer Confidential, which was one of their bigger original releases a few weeks ago, followed by The Occupant at number six, Angry Birds Movie 2. Weirdly, still going pretty strong at number seven. 2012, still hanging in there at number eight. Uh, Miracle and Cell number seven at number nine, and no surprise, Outbreak in at number ten. Um, so according to their numbers, which they don't release, um, <laughs> Netflix originals are still going pretty strong. Um, I, again, I don't really understand the appeal with Angry Birds 2 specifically. 
because it's not exactly a brand new movie. Um, and then 2012 and Outbreak are kind of no surprise still in that coronavirus pandemic sphere of movies. So I think they're going to win big there. Yeah, and just looking at numbers here in Canada, pretty much everything overlaps with you guys in terms of Netflix originals, uh, the platform, um, Uncorked, Spencer Confidential, all those movies are on ours as well. Um, Contagion still going strong here. Uh, but I think probably the thing with Angry Birds 2 is that while it's not a new film per se, it was probably somewhat newer to uh, Netflix and they've just kind of been pushing it as a new release and it's kind of just something to throw on, I guess, for younger viewers. But I, I, I do still maintain the hypothesis that it makes sense um, seeing all those Netflix originals kind of trending in the top 10, just considering that's what they heavily promote. I know that Nick uh, was, was questioning a little bit last week, uh, the, the accuracy of these, of this top 10, but I, I think that, that's probably the case. Uh, Netflix movies really just getting pushed to the front of the, uh, of the platform. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure this is kind of a, a good situation for them just because so many people are trapped at home. Um, and we've seen this with all the social media craze over tiger King. Um, I, I don't think it's quite stranger things levels, but I haven't really seen social media hype around something they've put out since, you know, stranger things dropped. Was that four years ago now? Um, right. But it's just literally everybody I know has been watching this show. They've been talking about it. Uh, Netflix is kind of the only movie winner at the moment. Yeah, it's, um, it's odd. <laughs> and I, I think personally looking at Netflix, I don't know how much better they could do. I mean, I feel like Netflix is, is a very common. Um, it, it's a very common Obviously, streaming service is the it's the most used in the world, or or at least in North America and the Western world. But I'm I'm very curious to see if if other streaming services that aren't quite as big, per se, Hulu. I mean, obviously huge, but not at Netflix level, like Hulu, Amazon Prime, stuff like that. I'm curious to see if those see a a great growth in memberships during this uh, during this period of self isolation, as well as Disney Plus, which obviously had a great boom at the beginning. But I think that there's a great opportunity for them to grow. And I think throwing onward out onto Disney plus is probably just a solid way to try to bring in a few more um, subscriptions. But yeah, I'd like to see numbers when this is all done, however long that may be. I'd like to see numbers of, of just how much some of these streaming services have boomed um, other than Netflix. Cause I feel like they, they've probably reached uh, pretty, pretty close to where a ceiling would be in uh, North America at least. Yeah, and I think part of it too is Netflix has always been really guarded about their numbers, and even Disney Pluses as well. They just kind of throw out subscriber numbers to try and scare Netflix a little bit. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever really get to track that progress as much as we'd like to, but I I guarantee, um, and I'm I'm sure it's happening, pretty much with all the streaming platforms that Netflix is seeing just massive boosts if not with new subscribers like you said as they're kind of at their cap but at least how much usage is going on um mm -hmm. you know now that you've got literally everybody in the family at home um just trying to kill out kill out the days <laughs> yeah no for sure and i think obviously um there, there's going to be some some changes uh with with how we watch netflix i don't know if uh this has happened in the states but has bandwidth been reduced at all in in the u.s like, uh, I know... Not that I've seen so far. I know okay. I was I was using Netflix the other day, mm -hmm. and it seemed a little less than HD. 
but that that could have just been there were too many people using it in my own house so i'm, yeah. I'm not really sure exactly what the case uh, is with that yeah because i know just because of the usage and, and the high influx of, of people um, on the streaming service across the world. I know in Europe, they they tried to cut down a little bit on the quality. Um, now, oh, this is something that I think is starting to happen in Canada very soon, so I would expect it to follow suit in the U.S., but there is obviously a way, a way to just put it back to normal. I think that it's just they're going to change the default, and then you can potentially adjust it from there. Um, but it, it's kind of funny to see just just how many people are going to be jumping on these streaming services over the next few months. Yeah, and I mean, we're only at the beginning of it, so it's only going to get bigger and bigger. <laughs> no, for sure, definitely. And I'm sure there are a lot of people, uh, uh, I think this could be a good thing too. You might have some some people that are exploring and maybe discovering uh, movies that they, they've never seen before, and maybe we'll uh, get some more cinephiles out of that. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so moving on from Netflix, because there aren't any new releases for us to go out to the theater and see, uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about some of what we've been streaming or watching on our own. Uh, so we'll just go down a, a list of three movies. So I know for me, I jumped on board the Criterion channel because if I'm going to be stuck at home, I can at least expand my film vocabulary a little bit um, and dive into a lot, of, a lot of the eras and just styles of filmmaking that I'm not very familiar with. Um, so of course, the first Two out of the three things I watched on that service were definitely not cinema at all. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I started off yesterday morning with Jason and the Argonauts, which is kind of known for Ray Harryhausen's uh, stop motion uh, and just the big monster battles. And, and the, the scene where they fight skeletons at the end of the movie is is pretty iconic. If people don't know the movie, they at least have kind of seen that scene or clips from that scene somewhere. Um, and I enjoyed it. I think the story doesn't really work. Like they, they set up kind of the classic Greek myth of Jason uh, going after the Golden Fleece. And he's, I forget exactly what the king's name is because it's Greek and it's hard to pronounce. Um, but they never really come back to that. So they set up this big conflict and then the movie just kind of ends open-ended. Um, and there's just some weird story stuff that I'm like, why are we wasting time with this? These characters don't really matter. But the effects for the day are just, breathtaking considering you know they didn't have computers and everything is done pretty much with stop motion and paint um i was just completely blown away and i was like yeah th this was worth buying into the criterion channel yeah no for sure that's that's uh you're gonna have a good time with that um but i've been jumping on kind of the contagion bandwagon so that was the first thing i watched after uh, we recorded last week um i guess that kind of helped add to the uh the, its stronghold on the Canadian Netflix top 10, but I watched Contagion my first time watching it. Actually, it's always been a movie that I kind of wanted to get around to seeing, but uh, I just never did. I really enjoyed it. I think that there definitely could have been um, more there. It's it's a very quick movie. It's I mean, it's Steven Soderbergh, right? So it, it's kind of the, the um, tempo that you usually expect from his films. That's there. It's about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, you have a really good cast, and, and it does follow like a bunch of different intertwining stories at, at once um which is which is pretty fun especially for uh, kind of a pandemic type film um but i think that this film definitely could have been meatier uh but no i i, I enjoyed contagion i think it's 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 a film that is is enjoyable and especially just given the times it's it's creepy to watch but it's also somewhat interesting 
Yeah, it's we watched it for I think it was my biology class in high school. Um, that was about eight years ago, so I can't remember the last time I've seen it. Um, but it's it's definitely it feels appropriate for the time being, and I think that's why we've seen that and and movies like it, like Outbreak, really spike in the past couple of days, past couple of weeks. Yeah, no, for sure, and I'm sure uh, in in years to come, following this, we'll see uh, some, we'll see Hollywood maybe take chances again on uh, Outbreak films. Yeah, the the genre could be coming back. You know, it we had just kind of a mild research with the Planet of the Apes movies, you know, earlier last decade, and and maybe we're really on to something. Yeah, I mean, maybe this this will be the next MCU. Will be the, the <laughs> disease cinematic universe. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I went from Jason and the Argonauts and watched 1958's The Blob after that which was just so much fun um like i don't think i've ever enjoyed a movie i knew nothing about more it was just it's so campy and and, um like it's it's made on an indie budget uh with i mean steve mcqueen is in it so you did have a a somewhat name-worthy actor though i don't think it was very big at the time um so everything is just like over the top and really cheesy and there's just jello eating the whole town uh but it was wonderful i wish I could have seen it at a drive-in at midnight because I feel like that's you really need the atmosphere to be able to appreciate it enough. But for what it was and just sitting it, eating my dinner and watching it at home, I was <laughs> I, I, I'm in love with it. It was so much fun. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I remember seeing your letterbox. I think you you gave it a pretty good pretty good star rating there. Um, interesting, interesting title, interesting premise. It sounds so like 1950s too. It is. It's just like watching it. I see a lot of ways it's influenced other movies or TV shows that I've seen growing up. So there was like one of the one of my favorite 80s movies is uh, Creepshow, which basically every horror guy in the 80s had some hand in it. Like Stephen King actually stars in one of the shorts. Um, George A. Romero was involved to some degree. And it's just it's a very... <laughs> It's it's a very odd assortment of just these little almost like fifties ish era ideas, and you can see like the influence of, of the Blob and the Stephen King short where he basically touches this like moss meteor and then it swallows the whole town. Or like in Stranger Things season three, you can see some clear homages to the Blob, and even in Carpenter's The Thing in the eighties, um, you see a lot of similarities there. And you just it's kind of cool to accidentally stumble into the inspiration for all those things no for sure um something i watched i mean i don't, I don't have that many low-key uh, picks this week um but i watched scott pilgrim versus the world my first time seeing it have you seen it yeah i've seen it once okay yeah so this is my first time it was, i actually like dug it it was it was a fun time and it's just a it's an absolute trip i mean it's it's about an hour and fifty minutes, and you kind of feel, uh, I mean, the the fast paced kind of uh, uh, tempo of this film, you kind of feel it near the end. But no, it's it it was great. Um, it was kind of back in that prime of Michael Cera. I mean, he had so many good, uh, so many good films back then. Um, I don't know. I I feel kind of bad for the guy because he he grew up, but he never really grew up in his looks he, he I don't, it, it, like i don't know if you're a fan of uh arrested development at all i've actually never seen it 
Okay. Um, I, I haven't watched uh, all of it, but my girlfriend was a fan, so I watched uh, a few episodes here and there. And it's just funny because they, they came back after like a little over 10 years. And like w- back when 10 years ago, um, 10 to 15 years ago, even when Michael Cera was kind of going through that super bad era. Um, then they returned a couple of years ago with later seasons. And it's just, just seeing him like he looks the same, but not like, it's just weird. <laughs> it's odd. Sure. Um, and I don't know that I think that's probably why we haven't seen him in pretty much anything this last decade, <laughs> but, uh, no, that, that, that was a great film and a really fun time for sure. And, uh, one that I definitely recommend if you've never seen it. Yeah. And I think Scott Pilgrim, part of what's cool about that movie is just how many of those actors it kind of caught right before they all took off. So that was like, I think that was a year or two before, I think that was the year before Captain America with Chris Evans. Right. Um, Anna Kendrick took off with Pitch Perfect right after that. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, Karen Culkin now has found a lot of success with HBO. And Brie Larson is, you know, Captain Marvel. This was just a few years before Room and Aubrey Plaza. And just all these people that are that are massive stars right now that somehow we're all together in just this bizarre, fun movie. <laughs> yeah, I know, for sure. It, it, it's neat. It's it's kind of one of those movies that you, you see it every so often uh these kind of ensemble ish films back in the day where where everyone's kind of having a good time but then years later you look at this that cast and they just they just boomed uh but michael Sierra, that's kind of where he peaked so <laughs> he'll come back someday uh, maybe <laughs> um but yeah and i think it's it's one of the bigger cult movies of the past decade and obviously it's a little early to classify a lot of the years as having a cult movie but but scott pilgrim really seems to be one of those that it didn't do too well at the box office, but it's really come back. And I think part of that just has to do with where the cast is at now, that they're much larger and people want to go back and explore kind of what they were involved in. And I think the other part of it is just Edgar Wright. He makes movies that people like, um, like he doesn't really have movies that even if they're not the biggest financial successes, they're normally pretty much always beloved to some degree. Right. And I think that, that charm just has carried Scott Pilgrim to the point, you know, where we're 10 years out and we're still talking about it. Yeah. And I'm sure that with the success of a lot of Edgar Wright's movies, uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of people that, that go back and visit his filmography and, and check out Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's been a Netflix staple for a while too. And I have to imagine that helps just because, it's something that, yeah, Netflix doesn't technically own, but it's been on the service, so it's kind of a reliable go-to for people that have the service and even for Netflix to kind of pimp out and say, hey, yeah, we have this. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I feel like there are a lot of Netflix movies like that that just kind of are mo- movies on Netflix, I should say, uh, that kind of just hang around for a long time. And they're always really reliable just for people to just pop on and just have a good time with. Mm-hmm. And then my uh, third pick for the week is another Criterion movie that I watched yesterday. And this was probably the only uppercase cinema that I watched, um, but it just completely blew me away. So one of the reasons why I bought into Criterion was so I could be more familiar with Kurosawa because he's inspired just so much of uh, American pop culture, really. Like he he kind of set the tone for the aesthetic for Star Wars and even a lot of the plot points. George Lucas is very open about, yeah, like Kurosawa was where these ideas came from. And even like the our 
idea of what a Western looks like comes from his movies, comes from Seven Samurai and Yojimbo. And so yesterday I started off my Kurosawa deep dive with Rashomon, which I didn't really know what to expect from that one. Um, as one I knew was one of his more popular and one of his better acclaimed movies. So I knew I wanted to check it out, but I went in pretty blind. I was expecting a Western movie, but with samurais, and I was way off, and I loved it. Um, <laughs> so instead, it's just this, it's about an hour and a half, and it's just this trial of these three guys that are giving different interpretations of this murder, and, and just each telling their own version of the story. So it's almost got kind of a whodunit nature to that, but it tackles some pretty deep topics for the 50s that I really wasn't expecting. So part of the movie centers around a rape that happens and people giving different takes on what actually happened and just the way that these other characters treat each other coming out of that and interact with each other. And I was just completely blown away by that hour and a half. Yeah, that's a film I watched uh, last year or a year and a half ago for the first time. Uh, really interesting, uh, interesting movie, eh? Yeah, it was, I did not know what to expect. Yeah, and it's 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 the only uh, Kurosawa movie I've seen uh, up until this point, so I'll, I'd love to dive into a little bit more um, soon. But yeah, that that's a film that it's definitely engaging too, and it's it's more entertaining than I expected it would be uh, just going into it. Yeah, and I really like just the way it's framed. So you have almost two frameworks because um, the majority of the movie is told through flashbacks and so it kind of sets up with these three guys that are in the ruins of Rashomon which is I, I think it was like a gateway city from what I understand and they're just recounting this tale of when they went to the trial uh, which at the trial they're giving their testimony and recounting what happened three days before that um, and just the way he kind of lays all those flashbacks on top of each other was just really brilliantly, brilliantly done and allowed the story to move forward without ever actually moving forward in time really for sure yeah it's, it, that that really uh that that kind of technique that he brought to it fantastic for for that aspect of the film um the last thing i want to just kind of promote here just because i haven't it, it's not something i watched in the last week but uh after seeing emma right before all the theaters shut down i do i, I would really recommend checking it out uh, on the streaming or on uh, on demand, um, just because it, it is a fantastic movie uh, with uh, just great set design, great costumes, gorgeous costumes for sure. And if anyone's a fan even of uh, Clueless from the 90s, I think it's a great watch to kind of uh, kind of compare it to and kind of parallel it to um, as Clueless was actually adapted or based off of the uh, Jane Austen's uh, Emma as well. Um, but no, that's a movie that I think I, I hope it doesn't get lost uh, with this whole kind of shuffle of things because it kind of came out wide at around the same time of uh, The Hunt and, and other films like that and Bloodshot right before everything kind of went down. So I do hope that it's a film that's that's still able to um, be seen by a, a, a large audience because I was really hoping when it went wide we'd see um, it do quite well, but sucks that, that this all happened for it. Um, but I, I do hope that's a movie that people check out. Anya Taylor-Joy, she's, she's great in it and uh, uh, just had to put, put her name in there because she, she's definitely a, a star, a rising star for sure. Yeah, that was one that I wanted to catch and just with the way my university shut down <laughs> and then the way all the theaters went down, it just, just kind of fell 
I thought I had a narrow window to go see it, and that window just kind of disappeared. Um, so I, I do look forward to checking that one out at some point. Yeah, I mean that that that's the thing, right? The window, the the film for me actually, it took me a little while, but uh, onward, I haven't seen it yet. But um, it was a week after the weekend following uh, its release. That's when I uh, planned to go see it, and then just everything like that just shut down. So I'm happy that onwards going to land on Disney Plus because. Uh, I, I was kind of upset that I missed it. Yeah, I was able to get into a showing of Onward the night before they announced that everything was closed. Um, so I, I snuck my way into that one just barely. Yeah, good. good. Uh, but I, de- uh, I missed out on Bloodshot and Emma, and so I'd like to catch up on those at some point. Yeah, definitely. And I was really actually um surprised not not super surprised but i i kind of expected onward to potentially get like a re-release back when everything returns to normalcy but mm-hmm. uh it's kind of nice that they threw it out on disney plus it's it's kind of a little bit of a different uh turn of events i wouldn't really expect them to do that but i think that kind of transitioned us into another topic we we should definitely touch on is that there are some talks of black widow maybe going to streaming going to disney plus um What's your take on that? And do you, do you think that that's just just wrong or what? I mean, I would prefer not to because I think, especially with kind of a blockbuster like that, I, I think just in general, any movie is better on the big screen. Um, that's what they're made for, and that's where they should be viewed at least for the first time. But I would also, I kind of would understand just because the MCU is so big and doesn't really show any signs of slowing down. <laughs> if they put it on streaming just so they could keep Eternals in the same window and just kind of not trip over themselves, but just keep the ball rolling with movies. Cause if we've already got, you know, I think we're back to three MCU movies a year next year and the year after that. And so I could see them not wanting to push things back and kind of crowd themselves out of the market too much. But, you know, I, I really don't know if that's the best way to go because this is such a big movie. And because, you know, it, According to Scarlett Johansson, elevates the genre. So I don't know if it's the the proper respect to pay for a genre elevation, but um, it's also not my decision. So I'm going to watch <laughs> it either way. Um, yeah, no, I I agree. I think that this is a movie that should kind of. I really do hope it comes out in theaters, just because I feel like it'd be so weird to see a movie of of this kind of stature in terms of just just it being a, a major blockbuster get dropped on streaming i think that's a a bad route to go for for movies in general um i was nervous Uh, initially there were rumors about even wonder woman uh 1984 getting dropped on uh streaming however apparently those were squashed and and warner bros said that they never had that in mind and instead they just moved it from june to august um but with black widow i i think that it had a i think may 4th release date depending on how long this goes maybe disney will want to put it out just because as you said they want to keep the ball rolling for the mcu uh they don't want to set back things too much but i would really just hope uh, for it to come out in theaters yeah and i think the biggest thing we're looking at is just the the longer this cinema hiatus goes i guess you can call it um and the more movies that get pushed back we're going to start to see a lot of really crowded uh just weeks and months here at the end of this year or beginning of next year um and depending on how long this goes we'll see some empty months in the next year year and a half where the movies that are in production to be released then won't be ready on time um so i think it's it's just a very weird time to be making or 
watching movies um, just because everything is so scattered. And I think we're going to see some of these bigger tent poles like the Eternals and uh, not Spectre, No Time to Die, little little drop within mm-hmm. really like a week and a half of each other. And I think we'll see a lot of these movies kind of they'll they'll make money because people want to go see them, but they won't really have the legs that the studios originally intended them to have. Yeah, and I, I, I do want to talk about a few other things just as it pertains to this because I think what we're seeing obviously now now the Batman was even uh delayed. Um the release of the Batman, they don't have a new date set yet, but that's interesting because that's a 2021 film. Um initially supposed to come out in July 2021. I think what would be best for them is to push it to maybe an October slot, make it like Joker. Um because that that was just an absolute roaring success in 2021 or sorry in uh last year in October. So I'd like to see maybe the Batman take that October slot in 2021, but I mean that it sucks because this ripple effect isn't just for movies this year, but as you said, production for movies one year, two years from now. Um it it sucks. And I do think that we will see crowded months, but I do want to pose a quick question. I don't know if I said it uh, last week, but do you think that it would be smart, maybe not for some of the smaller films or, or awards, uh, more prestige films that are going for uh, the Oscars potentially, but most of the films that are coming out around now to say July, August, some of the more big blockbusters, do you think it'd be smart for the big studios to just push absolutely everything back a year? 2020 to 2021, if you're coming out 2021, you're moved to 2022, what type of ramifications do you think that would have? Do you think that would work well, or do you think that there's too many logistics issues there? I think it could work to a certain degree. The main issue would be that, you know, the, the need for content I would say is even bigger right now. So there's a market that these studios still want to tap into. And part of it is we don't really know when this is going to end, but when it's going to end, you know, we have people that haven't been in the movie theater in three, you know, hopefully not six months, um, but that haven't been in the movie theater in so long. And so I think there's going to be a big uh, spike just in whatever can be the first movie to be released around that time. So I think that's why we're seeing some of these things be pushed back incrementally. So we did see like Furious uh, Fast Nine, whatever Furious Nine movie it is. <laughs> uh, what is it? Fate? What's the pun in this one? I don't remember. There's too many of them. And watching them for the first time last year they melted my brain um but i think we saw universal move that back a full year i and i don't think we've really seen anything that aggressive from anybody else bond was kind of the first one to go that pushed back a little bit over six months um but i think with like wonder woman and with black widow being indefinite that these companies and these studios are just trying to see when is the end date so we can be the first out of the gate and we can get all of that extra return to the movies business in. Yeah, definitely. I'm kind of nervous for a tenant. It's got the July, uh, late July release. I think it's only a matter of time before that. And even soul, uh, before that and, and, uh, the Pixar film soul, um, before those films potentially get moved as well, because we don't want to like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get into the actual, pandemic too much as it pertains to just just it in general um but we really don't know how long this is going to last yeah and i mean new mutants has already been pulled back for the fourth time um if free guy gets delayed i might actually be upset <laughs> um but yeah what's just kind when of, is that set for uh free guy uh, that is july 3rd okay 
Yeah, it's, then... it's it's tough. I I think that we're we're probably looking at even July getting bumped. I think at this point, but but we are really far out, so things could change. And I checked out the uh, Fast and Furious uh, Nine. I think it's just called Fast and Furious Nine or F Nine. That's right. It's it's F Nine, the Fast Saga. If the titles <laughs> weren't confusing <laughs> enough, uh, but yeah, I think it's just kind of everybody's scrambling with new information and trying to figure out what the best play is and we don't really know and i don't think they really know either so it's just kind of you know with no time to die really started this wave where everybody was like okay maybe we need to start considering this as an option and we quickly saw all of the april releases except for trolls which was like no we're still coming out just on demand <laughs> uh pull themselves back and we saw may do the same thing i believe the spongebob movie actually has the same release date still i don't think they've officially push that back yet um, but i won't be surprised if it does and we've seen june has really started to heavily pull back with wonder woman i think we'll probably see some of the smaller releases like Candyman, um, and like you said soul and, and honestly probably even top gun start to pull back in the next couple weeks and then if they go july is going to be what's next yeah, no, I, I agree, and it'll it'll be a, a scary thing to look at, but we'll be we'll be here covering it. That is correct. Um, so we'll be back next week, just talking about more what's going on. Uh, talking about movies we're watching. For me, it'll probably all be Kurosawa movies, as I will try to dive deeper into him this week. Um, but other than that, remember you can always check us out online at moviebubblereviews.com, and we'll be back here next week. 